We go to uh, Kenneth Timmerman. He is um, he's the author of Dark Forces that came out a few years ago. Um, and he really knows about who this guy was that we we killed um, uh, last week in the airport of Baghdad. A lot of people are upset. I don't think you should be upset because I don't think the real Iranian people are all that upset either. Uh, they're probably cheering the death of this guy, at least the people that want to be free. Uh, welcome to the program, Ken. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Glenn. You bet. Important topic. Okay. So tell me who this guy is before you get back to what you really discovered uh, in Libya. Tell us just generally who this guy is. Uh, well, he is, uh, as you mentioned, he's as bad as bin Laden. Uh, he is the chief terrorist of the Iranian regime. He runs a whole legion of overseas terror operators called the Quds Force. That means the Jerusalem Force. Uh, their goal is to spread uh, the Iranian ideology and the regime itself to, to foreign countries. So they're present in Lebanon. They're present in Syria. Uh, they're present in Yemen. They're present in Iraq, Afghanistan. They're the ones who command terror attacks. They're the ones who were going to blow up the Saudi ambassador in the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C., plant a bomb there because they didn't like the guy, take out perhaps 100 people having lunch in the downtown Washington, D.C. This was 2011. Uh, he blew up the Israeli embassies in, uh, in Buenos Aires, uh, killed uh, 86 Jews at a Jewish center there in 1994. That was also one of their operations. He is the worst of the worst. And in addition, he is the best that they've got. So we just took out somebody incredibly important for the regime. Okay. What people don't understand is that the regime, the elected regime, is all hand-selected by the real regime, the, the mullahs and the ayatollah that actually run everything. And this guy did not report to the elected officials. He reported right directly to the ayatollah. Correct. He was his right-hand man. And uh, you see again and again pictures of the two of them together. Uh, he was doing the bidding of the Supreme Leader. And I can tell you today, Glenn, that the Supreme Leader himself personally is shaking in his uh, plimsolls. Um, and why do you say that? Well, because he realizes that the U.S. no longer is going to be bound by the diplomatic constraints that have held us back in the past. Uh, there has been a a kind of taboo, if you wish, on hitting people like Soleimani um, for many, many years. And this is from the State Department. It's from the Pentagon. I'll give you one example. Uh, in 2007, they, um, his people kidnapped five American soldiers in Iraq, in Karbala, and murdered them. Uh, and instead of striking back at Soleimani, we released some of his people that had been arrested in Iraq. Soleimani and the Quds Force were responsible for approximately 600 deaths of U.S. soldiers in Iraq with uh, specially formed, uh, explosively formed penetrators. These are, uh, uh, you know, warheads that are planted in IEDs along the road. Very, very deadly. I've written about this quite a bit. You can see that at KenTimmerman.com. And he, we did nothing. We did not retaliate against Soleimani. So now the Supreme Leader realizes the gloves are off. He could be next, and certainly, for sure, 
the man who replaces Soleimani, should he conduct similar operations against Americans, he is definitely going to be next. So it's almost as if history is repeating itself in in some ways. Um, under the Obama administration, uh, we had the Benghazi consulate attacked. And then when Iran tries to do it again with a, a new Reagan, if you will, somebody who thinks a little like Reagan, uh, we don't put up with it. We put up with it under uh, um, Barack Obama. And in fact, your reporting shows that that Soleimani was the architect of the Benghazi um, nightmare. He was indeed. And uh, I know this uh, primarily from Iranian sources, but also from Americans who were who were uh, had access to some of the briefings before the 9-11 attacks and to a very key document, which is in my uh, one of my books on Benghazi called Deception. Uh, this is a defense intelligence agency after action report uh, delivered to then director Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn, remember, who was uh, mm-hmm. then the, became the national security advisor to President Trump and was going to clean house in the intelligence agencies and, the, and of the deep state. Well, Flynn asked the entire defense intelligence community what happened in Benghazi on September 11, 2012. And I specifically want you to tell me what we knew about the Quds Force involvement, that means Soleimani, and the al-Qaeda involvement. The report that came back, which I've published, you can see it at uh, KenTimmerman.com or in my book, Deceptions. That report came back six pages. The first three pages were on the Quds Force involvement, everything that we knew about them, everything that we knew about Qasem Soleimani in the Benghazi attacks blanked out, three pages of it. And then the last three pages were about al-Qaeda and al-Qaeda affiliates. And there you see a sentence here, a sentence there. But we knew a lot. The U.S. intelligence community knew a lot. And I've written about that in my books on Benghazi. All right. Um, let's go to the, um, the, the embassy in Baghdad. He was the driving force behind that attack? Absolutely. And, uh, and I think we know pretty clearly by now from what Secretary of State Pompeo has said and the president, the U.S. intelligence community knew it. They knew that Soleimani was behind uh, that. Uh, you know, they were they were attempting, Glenn, to repeat what happened in Benghazi. Correct. And they thought that they could uh, storm the embassy and that we would just cave and nobody would come. There'd be no reinforcements. No one would come to the rescue. Well, what a difference a president makes. This president immediately sent 100 Marines from Kuwait. They secured the embassy and the attackers dispersed, uh, as opposed to what happened in Benghazi. What do you say about the... I'm just quoting a, a headline here. Millions of angry mourners from all walks of life participate in separal, separate funeral ceremonies held in the southwestern city, blah, 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 of the uh, of the martyr Soleimani. Uh, well, I don't see them joining the ranks of martyrdom with him. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> we, we've always known the regime is capable of mustering a crowd. Uh, in many cases, they pay people to come. They they let them get off work. They oblige government employees to attend these mass rallies to chant death with America. And many times when the, when the cameras pan out or you get somebody from a uh, pro-freedom movement taking a, a, a YouTube video and they post it, you see that uh, it, it, when you, the camera pans out, there's nobody in the square. There's a, there's a tight crowd around the speaker up front, and then there's nobody in the rest of the square. Uh, these are rent-a-mobs. 
the people of Iran who are sick and tired of these tyrants who've been governing them for 40 years, an era of 40 years of darkness in Iran, the people of Iran are celebrating. And I know this. I've seen it all over uh, uh, social media. They're very active in social media when the regime does not block the Internet. They've been celebrating the demise of Qasem Soleimani and can't and can't wait until the rest of the tyrants go with him. Um, people are trying to make Donald Trump look like this was just something that, you know, he's doing because he wanted people not to pay attention to uh, the uh, impeachment which is what a lot of conservatives said about the bombing of the aspirin factory during the, uh, the Monica Lewinsky thing when uh, uh, Bill Clinton was going after Osama bin Laden, who Americans didn't know at the time. Um, but this, uh, you know, I was reading this, and it, it talked about how we have, we've always been following him, but the White House told the Pentagon, I want to know where this guy is 24-7 at all times, Back in May, it was also back in May that um, we we put uh, the Quds Force on the, and the IR. What is it? The IRG, uh, IRGC uh, put them on uh, the terror watch list for the first time, which he is, you know, a controlling member of. Obviously, um, there was a defection of a very high uh, ranking intelligence officer who seems to be like the uh, a, a, a a walking knock list in a way. And he defected in April and brought all kinds of classified documents with him. Is there any connection between his defection and this killing and the well, the upping of everything in May right after his defection? Very good point that you raise, Glenn, and I really haven't heard anybody else make, connect those dots. Extremely important. You talk about this defector. He was the head of the intelligence unit of the Islamic Republic uh, Revolutionary Guards Corps, uh, and he did come out uh, and, you know, clearly you say a walking knock list. He knew everything that the IRGC and that the Quds Force were doing. Did he give the United States the ability to track Soleimani in real time? I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't know about, I'm not asking about that. I'm asking, did he bring information, do you believe, that um, proved or opened uh, the eyes of the administration or the Pentagon and was enough evidence to know this guy we have to watch because he's all over the world and we may have to take him out. I, I think what happened is that he essentially made it so crystal clear that Soleimani was never going to put down the gloves. He was never going to stop killing our people and that we had to take action. I think that really I, I think you're right. I think that tipped the balance. And that, by the way, is when you hear Mike Pompeo, he was interviewed right shortly after that defector came out. And he said, yes, we put uh, Qasem Soleimani uh, back on back on the terror list. He was taken Correct. off. He personally was taken off by Barack Obama uh, at the moment of the Iran deal. So Pompeo said we put him back on the terror list. And some TV interviewer said, well, does that mean that we're going to do the same thing to him that we did to Osama bin Laden? And Pompeo just gives him that icy stare and says he's a terrorist. All right. So let me ask you a final question. Where does this go? Is is Iran and the mullahs and the Ayatollah, are they enough of Twelvers that they believe that 
they're going to wash the world in blood and this is a good thing for them to retaliate or are they in butt uh, saving mode and may strike but they're not going to really they're not going to have their fingerprints really well known on anything well let me tell you i've thought about that an awful lot and uh, there's something to be said on both sides. But here's where I come down on this. Look at Ayatollah Khomeini, the founder of the Islamic Republic of Iran. He died at the age of 88, comfortably in his bed of old age. The leaders of this regime, they can be Twelvers and they can try to send the masses out to martyrdom, but they themselves are going to save their rear ends. They've got airplanes waiting to take them out of the country should the regime start to fall. Uh, I think they're going to save themselves, and I think the, per- the p- person and the people who have replaced Qasem Soleimani are not going to take dramatic action against the United States because they know they're next. And is, um, is this something that uh, we play out? We would be well advised to play out by playing this almost like the collapse of the Soviet Union, tighten sanctions, help the people on the streets, uh, and uh, make sure everybody knows how evil this regime really is. But we don't have to lob any bullets or any men over there. Absolutely not. But And you're right. This is like the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, we can sit back, enjoy it, but help the people of Iran. I think what we ought to be doing, uh, and apparently we now have the capability of doing this, is make sure whenever the regime shuts off the Internet that we turn it back on so the people of Iran can communicate to the rest of the world Mm. uh, so the regime cannot kill in darkness. Mm. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Kenneth Timmerman, he is the author of many books, one of them, Dark Forces. Uh, You can find him at uh, kentimmerman.com. You know, I have absolutely no interest in uh, the foreign press Golden Globes. What? Yeah, I have no interest How will in you that. know what movies they mm, think you should right. see? I'm, I'm going to have to wing it on my own. Oh, my gosh. Um, however, Ricky Gervais is one of my favorites. I, uh, he is brilliant. So he good. is brave. His, his acting is good. His directing is great. His writing is great. And he's unafraid. We need more Ricky Gervaises. Listen to what he said in his opening monologue last night. At the Golden Globes, <laughs> he he just oh. handed them their heads, which I love. Which I love. You know who he is? He's the new Don Imus. That's what Don Imus used to do. Mm. And I'm going to share a story about Don Imus at the end of the program today. But that's how you know people are like. Well, Don Imus, he was a racist. Why would you say those things? Because th- why? Why is Ricky saying these things? Why is he saying that? He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. And you know what? Some of them are, as he said, just jokes. They are yeah, just sure. jokes. But other, others, uh, you know, need to be said. Need to be said to these highfalutin, pompous a-holes. And there's a level of celebrity that he has uh, that is he can get away with it, at least for a while. I mean, I think Louis C.K. also had that same level. And he was saying things that were really uncomfortable. And I remember at times thinking, like, I can't believe they allow him to keep saying these things. They allow him. That's that's so un-American. Right. Well, I know. Totally, right? Yeah. Um, however, of course, now we see that that was not. Eventually, he did, did go away. 
uh, after all of that. And I don't know if the same thing will happen. They're, I mean, they're already looking for his old tweets, Ricky Gervais now. They're already publishing articles in left-wing publications about how you should look back at the things he said. They're very offensive. Here's your guide. Ricky Gervais is a, he's a hero. I just no, love the guy. Just love him. He's willing to say whatever's on his mind. Welcome back to the program. 888-727-BECK is the phone number. Uh, we were talking about the Golden Globes a little bit uh, before and Ricky Gervais lighting up the press uh, or the Hollywood foreign press and, and Hollywood in general over their pathetic actions. Uh, in, and it's funny because they're so critical. They're, they're able to go on there and make all these speeches about global warming when they can't even stop molesting their actresses. It's like, can it's you at least thing. stop touching every single 22-year-old that walks by you? Then you can tell us about the 0.8 degrees uh, temperature rise. Yeah. At that point, we'll start listening to you wanting to control the thermostat for the globe. So I try, don't not, think... try not grabbing each yeah. and every breast that walks by you, and then you give us the temperature advice. Yeah. So uh, Ricky Gervais took them down. Beyond that, I don't really care what the Hollywood foreign press says about uh, any movie. I don't. I've never, well, it did win a Golden Globe. I've never done that. Especially, I mean, the Oscars have that status at some level. Used to. I think yeah, they used to. Yeah, I think, that's, I think it's definitely fallen off. But yeah. there's something about winning Best Picture as a, as for an Oscar that I think has at least some um, cachet to it. Yeah. And I think Golden Globes, there's some level because they, they hit television. Yeah. So you hit maybe a little bit with nah. that. I don't know. No. More than anything else, it's just a Ricky Gervais stand-up yeah. thing, which no, I love. Great. It's which like a I, roast. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And that's exactly what he did last night. He, he roasted them. Um, I think I think 1917 won Best Picture. Yeah, yeah, it did, which was a surprise, right? They were, they were expecting it to be maybe The Irishman, <sighs> which was okay. It was okay. Uh, it was okay. It was, I didn't think it was fantastic. So let me recommend. I have... Uh, I saw this movie twice while I was on vacation. It's that good. Um, my son and I have been waiting for this film uh, for, for since the first time we saw the the trailer. We were like, "Oh my gosh!" And we love war movies. Um, Lone Survivor, American Sniper, The Pinnacle has got to be Saving Private Ryan. And I don't hold out you know, hopes that something is going to be as good as saving private Ryan, uh, very often this one, uh, we did, and we convinced mom to come with us and we took two veterans with us of very different wars. One was a Vietnam veteran and one was a veteran of Afghanistan. In fact, two, we took three actually, um, over the two viewings. Um, and two of them were from Afghanistan all of us walked in, walking in with high, high hopes. And we all walked out with our hopes and expectations surpassed. Uh, it, it, I mean, we were all hoping that it would be good, as good as Saving Private Ryan. And we all came back out going, I think it's better. I think it's better than Saving Private Ryan. And that that is, I mean, that's a really high standard. And warning, now that I've said that, your <laughs> expectations are going to be so high, you're going to be like, no, it wasn't. That's basically the highest compliment you can right. pay to a war movie. Here's why. I'm a big fan of, 
Alfred Hitchcock. And Alfred Hitchcock did a movie that very few people saw called Rope with Jimmy Stewart. And uh, he wanted it to be with no edits. And he wanted it to be with no edits because two reasons. One, it was a stage play. And two, uh, he felt it drew you into the movie more. If you never take your eyes off, you feel like you're in the room. So that has three edits in it. And I think they're 18 minutes apart, something like that. Uh, this movie, the director wanted to do the same thing. Now, the longest stretch, I'm told, was eight minutes, an eight-minute take. However, I cannot see the edits in this movie. I don't know where they edited. Sometimes, you know, it's really easy. They go down a, you know, a dark, shadowy hallway, and you, you know there's the edit. I don't know where the edits are in this one. Uh, and it, the reason why that makes a difference is because it's all shot from their perspective. So it's all shot as if you're standing in the trenches and you're bumping by all the pe people and, you know, you're sitting on a body or you're right there running with them on the field. It is it it makes this movie an experience. I, I, I want to see it on IMAX because I think IMAX would be awesome with this movie. Um, so I think it changes the story, the feeling of this movie. It becomes an experience and not just a movie. And World War I was one of the most brutal uh, wars in, in all of our history. Uh, and or at least modern history, and I don't think we can really truly imagine what it was like. And that kind of bothered me going in. I thought, oh, geez, this thing's going to be so bloody. Uh, but it wasn't. Um, it 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 is impactful, and you. The only thing missing from this movie is the smell, um, but you gain. Uh, an understanding without the you know blood blood soaked ocean and beaches it's it's really weird uh it's i don't think nearly as graphic as saving private ryan and yet even without the graphics it makes saving private ryan in some ways and and no offense to that because i hold it in the highest regard in some ways it feels like a disnified version of war and it's never felt this way before, but it did this time because this one, you don't see the Hollywood actors. This one revolves around two guys, and I don't really know who they, who they are. They might be famous. I don't know. I don't really care. Um, but they became just people that were on the, the nameless, faceless guys who fought and died in World War I. And there are some big names in this, but they play very small parts. And so you, it becomes just these people that you didn't know. And that changes the experience as well. And then there's something else that the director did that maybe is my imagination, but I don't think it is. Um, I haven't read about it anywhere. Um, and it's something that's so subtle. I don't know if most people will even notice, but did you see the Ken Burns, not Ken Burns documentary, um, 
uh, what's his name made Lord of the Rings, uh, the documentary that was made on World War One. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson, where he colorized everything, he cleaned up the film. Did you ever see that? I think I did. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, it's it's only amazing because it becomes real to you for the first time. World War One has always seemed black and white, fuzzy, you know, yeah. choppy movements and sure. fast. You know, well, it, 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 it's not real. It's not that long ago they colorized the a lot of that World War II stuff with yeah. Hitler up in the you know, his, his hideaway there. Correct. I mean, that's not even that long ago. So this becomes real. And and World War One was real to me because my grandfather, my grandfather on the Beck side, he was in World War One. And we had one of those old oval pictures with the round glass on it. Do you remember even seeing those? They were from around the World War One period. Uh, and uh, he was in his uniform, and it was colorized because they didn't have color film back then. And so it was colorized. There are parts of this movie, especially towards the end, where he's washed the color out so much that it, and I don't think the average person would know this, but it looks a lot like the Peter Jackson. It looks a lot like that photograph that I remember. So while it becomes real, he's also enhanced it with his use of color to make it even more real if you saw those pictures or you watched Peter Jackson. He he, he didn't bring it, I don't know, at least part of it felt like it didn't bring it all the way to today it still hmm. had that feeling of of yesterday at least towards the end maybe it was my imagination but i don't think so the storyline the 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 shots the all of it is just exactly what we hoped uh that it would be in my opinion my wife liked it um all the vets that went with me all said at the end that is only lacking the smell. That's only lacking wow. the smell. Um, we all agreed because uh, we walked out and none of us were willing to say it. I, we all said it like this. I, I, I think that's better than saving Private Ryan. We all were just, we all have reverence for that movie. Um, but this, you leave, you leave the theater, saving Private Ryan you you really understood what war was really like world war 2 was like you'll have the same feeling about world war 1 but in this one it's as if you're going to witness the act of heroism as if there was a camera as if you were there because you become part of it and the movie stars with great special effects all just go away this makes saving private ryan feel like a movie a disnified kind of movie um without more blood or gore and saying that this is a movie cheapens it but saying this is a film makes it into something with pretense and this doesn't have any pretense i think this is in a category of its own i think this is a war experience i think you go into this and you're going to feel like you were in the trenches. It rings true. It rings authentic. And personally, I think the slogan of the movie should be, don't see 1917, live it.
Hey, we have to thank uh, Frank Miller and Dick Green for uh, making the decision to be the first Buffalo clearance and first uh, Buffalo, New York uh, station to carry the Glenn Beck program. We are uh, so appreciative of that, and we are thrilled to be on WLVL, hometown AM 1340 and FM 105.3 in, uh, in Buffalo. And you, you join us on a good day because uh, today's the day that uh, Stu lost to the Seahawks. And uh, but I welcome the new affiliate with uh, thinking about an NFL football right now and a very tough weekend for the Bills fans as well. You want to you align yourself with evil? Is that what you want? Is that what you want to do? <laughs> Sorry, Seattle. Um, uh, oh, it's crushing. I, I, this is, of course, the one day a year. You should know this if you're a new listener in Buffalo. The one day a year Glenn cares about sports, yeah, which is so the day this is e- it. after the Eagles lose. Yeah, I don't care. It's the only day he cares because he wants yeah. to torture me about it. Yes. And I and appreciate I, that. I relish that. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I know um, you do. You know, uh, I could certainly point out that it was unfortunate that, you know, most of the players on the team at this point were – and even in the league at the beginning of the season. Yeah, it and doesn't really matter, does it? seems like potentially there's a strategy to take out the one healthy player they had. Mm. I can point that out. But yeah. that would make me sound like a complainer, which, of course, it, I am not. It would. It would make you sound not. like a sore loser. Uh, yeah. Somebody who's just, uh, you know, well, what about? Uh, I, don't, I don't engage in what about is. The only good, I mean, the only good thing about it is uh, most of the people around here, Unlike you, because you have a real strong rooting interest of the Seattle Seahawks as of today. <laughs> uh, but uh, everyone here are Cowboys fans. Did the Seattle Seahawks beat the uh, Eagles? Uh, they did. Yeah. they. Yeah. Well, at least the practice Go squad preseason Seahawks. version of the Eagles. Yes, mm-hmm. they did beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, however, most of the people around here are are Cowboys fans. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very difficult for them to really talk trash to anybody. At this point, I mean, the mm-hmm. Browns fans are talking trash. To but Cowboys I can, fans at this I point. can switch teams at any time. Yeah, so that's it true. Doesn't matter. I have no loyalty, <laughs> have so no I can. Loyalty. Anybody who beats the Eagles, I'm there. You're like so many people in politics right now. You just go with whatever position's popular at that moment. That's so you. I was with I was with somebody who uh, wanted so desperately to tease you about the Seahawks, mm-hmm. and I said, "You're not, you're you're not teasing him right now." And he's like, "Oh no, he's very superstitious." No, Stu has rules. You don't like you don't talk about it until at least halftime. Is that true? You don't engage in <laughs> I have to know the context of this. I am very understanding of uh I feel like if I talk trash about my team, they will definitely lose. Like it's that moment when I start talking trash and I get confident that they always lose. So I never get confident, and, and they still lose a lot, but at least they win a few games before they lose. And, of course, there was the glorious uh, – only, it's only two Super Bowls ago where uh, the, uh, the, the miracle of all miracles occurred, and the Eagles actually won the Super Bowl. Um, and uh, I will never forget it. It's, the only, it's really the defining moment of my life at this point, <laughs> which I don't know says a lot about my life experience. But hey, these people well, I you don't know, know that you're don't the guy care about who, me. You're the guy who bought your wife a new oven for Christmas. Oh, we're all out of time for Wait, you to talk have to, about that. But there's a lot more to tell on that. Oh shoot! No, let's just I, but, let's just point out that Stu for Christmas thought it would be a good idea <laughs> to buy his wife an <laughs> oven because, as Stu will tell you, the little women need to be kept at home. You know, cooking in the kitchen. 
I, I don't but think I, that's how I would Unfortunately, we are completely out of time mm. for him to define it any other way. Well, we still have some. Back in a minute. An hour. You're listening to Glenn Beck.